praise be to my children. I love you. Oh, oh God, oh, man, what? Is this your shortest fight ever? In any time, amateur, professional ever? Assalamu alaikum, Maida. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, Lennox Lewis, Lennox, I'm coming for you. Mike, is it frustrating to train like you did and then have no, this I, in I seven or eight train seconds? For this fight, I only trained probably two weeks or three weeks for this fight. I had to bury my best friend, and I dedicated this fight. I wasn't going to fight. I dedicated this fight to him. I was going to rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lynx is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. Praise be to Allah. Are you saying now, Mike? Mike? I thank Pat Barrett with all my heart. And that's the honest truth. Well, look, it looks like there's a lot of respect there. I saw you two embracing for quite a while at the end of the fight. What were you saying to each other? I was saying, I love you, Pat. I literally said to him, I love you. I said, you, if one thing about me, Tunde J, I don't, I don't have no hatred, no malice for no human being. All I've got in my heart is love. And I love Pat Barrett, I love Lyndon, and I want the best for them. I've always been that, but as I said at the press conference, it's a fight. It's a fight, and uh, after the fight, I think we saw how much respect there is between me and Pat. He's actually the highest paid person in boxing. Who? You are. Really? <laughs> goes, goes Canelo Alvarez, Coogan Cassis, I don't know, AJ, Chisora, and then Hey everyone and welcome back to the number one podcast. Well, the number 22 podcast in the Spotify world of sports podcasts. You know, I'm going to take great joy in that. So I hadn't realized that. So yeah, the intro is going to be a bit different today because I do have to thank everybody. I mean, everybody for the support. So, and it probably only happened once in 2022. But we got up into that level. So I think it was number 22. I always forget the numbers here, 20 or 22. We got to. And that was in the the week after Joshua lost to Usyk. And that's absolutely insane to, to think that we were able to. So just for context, that puts you in the ballpark of that Peter Crouch podcast. It puts you in the ballpark of some of those rugby ones, the one that James Haskell does. Uh, is putting you in that discussion. You're you're there with the who are the boys who uh, happy hour podcast. All, all these sorts of podcasts are are your peers, and it may only be for four days, five days, six days, but it shows we're there. There was no one else from boxing who was up in that week. There was no one close to us that week, and that's humbling because it shows that look when we get it right collectively, we really get it right. So I am. So, so grateful for everyone who supports. And I know not everyone needs to retweet because sometimes you just tell someone to listen or you send a link via WhatsApp and all that sort of stuff. So however you're sharing the word, however you're getting it out there, however you're drawing people into the movement, I am thoroughly grateful. And that's the sort of thing that says I need to keep pushing harder and I need to keep elevating my game as well. But down to business. And it's been a weird, weird few days in boxing because not much has happened, but stuff has happened. I think it's it's not having a a mainline show to to focus on. What we did have was the it's Misfits boxing, isn't it? The one on the zone. So we had the zone X Misfits show at the Wembley Arena. Now, first things first, how full was that Wembley Arena? Whatever you want to say about YouTube boxing, whatever you want to say about anything. What we saw at that Wembley Arena should either worry or inspire everyone involved in boxing because it shows, this is what it shows. When packaged right, people just want to see entertaining fights. That's all. On the face of it, boxing should just be a license to print money for Frank, for Eddie, 
for Ben, for Mick, for Calla, for Dennis, for Steve, for Errol, for Steve, number two, Goodwin. For all of those promoters, it should be a license to print money. Why isn't it? And here's the answer for me. We focus on stuff that most people don't care about. So do I care if Lyndon Arthur's a Commonwealth champion? Not really, because I know the game long enough to know that in winning that Commonwealth title, his only meaningful fight would have been for that title. Everything else was just filler. And as a fan, that's what I get annoyed by. I get annoyed by the amount of filler a boxer needs in order to show competence, in order to be ready for a hard fight against a peer. How long does it take most boxers to fight someone of their generation and their ability? Pause and think about that for a second. So here, here's, a, here's an easy example. Chris Congo fight Echo Esselman for the British title. Their peers, ability-wise, age-wise, experience-wise, years in the game-wise, when they were amateurs together, when they were in GB together, these men are peers. I think Echo, this will be Echo's 19th fight and Chris's 16th fight. This is what we've had to, this is how long we've had to wait for these guys to face each other. If they came up as peers, I know they're in different weight classes, but if they came up as peers, they could have fought after five fights, after 10 fights, after 12 fights. At any point between then and now, they could have fought, but they didn't. Because promoters genuinely believe they still control the product the audience gets, right? They believe they know more than the fans do. 2023 promoters are behaving like BoxRec doesn't exist. They're behaving like YouTube doesn't exist. They're behaving like social media doesn't exist. The fans have a voice. And what, what should be happening? And if you look at the wider world, let's look at OnlyFans. Let's look at Spotify. Let's look at YouTube. Let's look at TikTok. Everything is about short-term gratification. I want it now. I want it now, and I want it in manageable chunks. So OnlyFans, let's, let's just go back to 2015. 2015, you jump on Pornhub, right? Sarah J videos, 32 minutes long. If you're on the wilder side of things, you've got Yvette Bova video on, I don't know, whatever channel she does, and that's 22 minutes long. Right? And that was your... That was your that was your bedtime viewing. In the world of OnlyFans, you're not getting one 32-minute clip. You're either getting eight four-minute clips or four eight-minute clips. Why? Because the rest of it's probably wasted on you and that's how you monetize more and it means you can hit them with more content. That makes you stickier. Same with Spotify. If people notice... 2010, Kasabian, whoever it is, drop an album. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, 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 chant, finish, right? Songs three minutes, 42 seconds long. 2023, if you've got a song that's two minutes, 30 seconds, you've done well. Why? Because now they're saying, why do I need to put three verses in the chorus in? I'm going to give them two verses. I'm going to keep this verse for another song. So if you've got 18 verses written down, in the old days that gave you six songs, just, you know, allowing for hooks and choruses and stuff. But now you've got nine songs. More views, more money. And the fan feels they're getting more value. Meanwhile, in boxing, we're the equivalent of a 32-minute long Sarah J video. Who's lasting for 32 minutes? So what have you done? You scroll past the awkward bit where they get to the hotel and, you know, somehow someone's dropped the soap and whatever, right? You've got past that awkward, but you're probably into minute 17 and you're like, right, this is a bit I need, right? Just being real. And that's the problem. Of Echo Esselman's 18 fights, I only care about three of them. That's all. I care about three of those 18 fights. 
So why am I giving someone money when their strike rate is that low? Same with Chris Congo. Well, I care about more of Chris's fights because I know Chris personally. So I'm more invested in Chris. But objectively, McKinson, don't care about the rest. Payne, don't, don't care about anyone else he's fought. It's the same with Fury. I care about the Wilder fights and the Dillian White fight. Uh, actually, let's give him Klitschko as well. The rest, whatever. Femi, Klitschko, Ruiz. Ruiz won, Usyk won, Usyk two. The rest, who cares? And until boxing fixes that who cares problem, until boxing can give us what we need now when it's fast-tracking people, yeah? Let's find out if these kids are the goods early. We're not waiting for them to develop. They shouldn't be turning pro if they're not developed. Yeah? Until these promoters realize this, because they're really thinking backwards and they're thinking about their own interests and not the interests of the sport. Meanwhile, here comes KSI, here comes Logan Paul, here comes Jake Paul. And they say, uh, what if we decided to fight each other? Would our fans be interested? Forget boxing, boxing, forget boxing for a second. Would our fan base be interested in seeing us fight? And that's how the first KSI Logan Paul thing kicked off. I, I remember the genesis of hearing what they were doing and going, huh? But they made it work. Were the fights technical masterclasses? No, but they were fights. People were getting hit, people were getting hurt. Right? And it was that feeling of you're, you're, in, you're up by the fields, lunchtime school. Yeah? David Francis over there and old James, I don't know, Newsome over here have been having problems for weeks and finally it comes to a head because someone says something crazy at the house party I mean, the week before. And what happens? Everyone shows up, forms a circle, says, get at it. And you know the fight's garbage, but you just like the fact that they're going at it until the teacher breaks it up. KSI, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, Misfits, MVP, these guys are giving you that feeling. That feeling. That fight, 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 fight. That feeling. That's what they're giving you. And that's what boxing's not giving you. And as much as I respect the role of a journeyman, shouts out to Robbie Chapman, the Camden caretaker. I mean, thoroughly good guy, actually. And if you're a promoter or a manager, listen, give the guy some work. You know what I mean? Anyone from middleweight to light heavy, I mean, Robbie's there for you. So I respect what the journeymen do. But these guys are getting too many journeyman fights. We're talking about this guy Moses Atalma now. How many journeyman fights are we going to see before he gets stepped up? We're seeing it with David Adelaide. We don't know how good David Adelaide is. Put David Adelaide in with Fraser Clark. With Jamie Shakiva. With Steve Robinson. Get it cracking. And what will happen is people will be like, these are damn good fights. If this is what I get every week, I'll tune in. I'll even go. We'll come on to the pricing of, of pro boxing in a second, but if you don't have that feeling of this is a real fight, then there's no point. And on any given card, only two fights of the evening are real fights. That's the problem boxing has. The pricing thing's an issue as well. Like why, why do I have to pay 100 quid? to watch a card that is 80% filler of no real value and then there's a main event but the, the outcome is pretty much determined and I'm paying 100 quid upwards and it's just turned into a status game that yeah I sat ringside and then you look at the ringside at a boxing show you just see people and you're like well he hasn't fought for a couple of years he hasn't fought for a year god he looks out of shape and that's how you feel and so all these things that are wrong with boxing and Misfits and MVP come in and it's tight and the production's good. They've clearly thought about how they want to present it. It's more WWE than it is boxing. So if you watch a lot of WWE, NXT, 
it's that feel. Three people talking into a mic, a bit of joshing between them, a bit of banter, a bit of tension. Because these are relatively balanced human beings, not the insecure psychopaths that inhabit boxing, where if you say the wrong thing, you may be fighting off camera. So they can take more risks. People, people are willing to be more vulnerable, less protective of this manufactured image. And that's what this Misfits and Zone X thing's bringing. But if you really look at what, where it really boils down to, and I always trace it back to MTV, the reason we're here today is because of MTV and that show Jackass. Because that made clowning a valuable commodity. Those guys did a whole movie based on this. I don't want to age anybody, but how old would Jake and Logan Paul have been? How old would KSI have been when those guys say, like, is it Steve-O and all those guys? When they were at their peak, they were young boys. So what they realized was if you take risks, you can command the public's attention. You marry that with YouTube and you've got their careers. It's no coincidence that no one else has been able to replicate this. These were the guys who went down that route. We're going to clown for clown. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but we're going to do stuff that's risky. But it's a lot of fun. And we know because these guys have all grown up with that. They're comfortable in this environment. We know they'll gravitate towards that because we're normal people. So everyone looks at what KSI, Logan and Jay Paul do as, oh my God, this is YouTube boxing, it's threatening boxing. No. What Frank Warren does, what Eddie Hearn does, what all these guys do is more about profit maximization. Boxing is just a means to maximize their profit. They don't do anything else. They don't have anything else. For MVP, for Misfits, boxing is just more content. That's what it is. Boxing is just more content. Next year, they could go and decide to play tennis against each other. Same dynamic. It's just more content for them. They were doing content before boxing. They'll do content after boxing. Everything's just a, a, a content creation moment. The build-up to the Jake Paul, Tommy Fury fight. Content creation. These guys just create content for the public to consume. And in consuming that content and having their, the public's attention, they point you somewhere. They point you to buy tickets for the event. They point you to buy crates and crates of Prime. They, they point you towards their website. They point you towards their hip-hop single. They point you towards so many different things. And that's where they make their money. Boxing's in, it's, it's incidental. Boxing, MMA, they could go and play rugby. I mean, they could show up and go, they should get, they could show up at Castleford. They could show up at, I don't even know, Jewsbury. They could show up at bloody Hebden Bridge if they got a rugby league team. And that would be the talk of the whole rugby league world. And they'd be there to just create content. They get tackled hard. They don't care. It's great content. Logan Paul twisted his knee at wherever it was, SummerSlam or wherever it was. Who else takes a, like literally a selfie jumping off the top rope? Content. He knows you can clip that. And that's 20,000 views. Now, if I can get 1% of those eyes to go and buy Prime, to go and buy a ticket to my next fight or my brother's fight. Job done. It's about monetizing your audience using the drug of content. So this brings me on to Lyndon Arthur. And I always have to start by saying I'm a, I am a Lyndon Arthur fan. I think Lyndon Arthur is one of those guys who, who could be the vanguard of something different in boxing because he's actually quite an interesting character and is not afraid to have an opinion um, obviously, because he came into the sport late, you know, I mean, he's 
I mean, he's more mature in terms of his relationship with boxing. So quite like London Arthur, but he tweeted something over the weekend that I thought was interesting. And he said, if boxing fans supported boxers the way YouTube fans support YouTubers, then everyone would get paid well. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what Lyndon said. And I think hundreds of people responded and they got to vent their frustrations with boxing. But you've got to take a balanced view of this. And it's worth remembering that there are big differences between this YouTube situation and what Lyndon Arthur goes through in his career. Number one, the fighters are the promoters. The fighters are the product in the YouTube world. The fan base pretty much belongs to the fighters, promoters, whoever, right? So in that KSI world, that KSI YouTube world, he brings everything. Kalasaulin brings nothing. He's just kind of there. And he's there because he needs them more than they need him. Right? That's the harsh reality of it. I can't put it any other way. If I'm Lyndon Arthur and I'm fighting on Channel 5 on a Wasserman show, I don't own anything. I get a, I get a purse at the end of it. I'm down here on the food chain. There's a promoter, there's a manager, there's a broadcaster. There are all these people that are already there. So I don't have much pulling power. People are there to watch the boxing. They were there to watch the Wasserman show because that's who's promoting it. In contrast, KSI is the main event. He's promoting it. His check is going to look different. Who knows how much guys at Salt Papi got? Probably not that much. But enough to make it worth it for a kid who doesn't have to train that often to have a scrap. And not only that, but it gives him a platform and an audience to build his Salt Pappy brand into something so he can now go off and do something. This is what boxers don't do. Okay, let's just assume the thousands of people who listen to this. Yes, I'm quite proud to say the thousands of people that listen to this. Let's say we all bought a Lyndon Arthur ticket for his next fight. Okay. We watch Lyndon Arthur fight someone. Lyndon Arthur wins. Then what? Then what? Now got away for the next Lyndon Arthur fight? What's he going to give me? Where's the content? Well, I've got I've to follow him on his Instagram stories. He's taking his kid to the football. You know, he's debating whether he needs snow tires for his car. I don't, what are you giving me? And it's not, Lind like I said, Lyndon's the least of our worries in terms of boxing because he's quite engaging and he's happy to go back and forth with fans. Credit to him. And him and Sonny Edwards, it's a great double act, right? There's value in that. If someone can find a vehicle for those two, I think there's a, there's a good opportunity there. But all of this stuff is money that's being left on the table and that's not boxing fans' fault. Boxers have to be progressive. Boxers have to be proactive. Boxers have to create these opportunities. So Lyndon Arthur has to be there going, I can't just be a boxer in 2023. I can't just be a boxer. Maybe I'll take up sculpture. And I just, man, just things that pop into my head. I'll take up a sculpture, furniture making. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to get an old Escort XR3i. And I'm going to restore that. And that's what people see of me on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, is me restoring this XR3i to its former glory. I don't know. Maybe he, he flips houses and we see that. You're not going to grow your fan base. You're not going to build loyalty if you show up four times a year to fight and then there's nothing else. That's why KSI is good. Like I said last time. This guy released Prime, and Prime is not a great drink. It's not a bad drink, but it's not liquid Viagra, is it? But they released that and had middle-aged men acting like it was Viagra. What boxers ever thought to do that? 
what boxers have ever sat down? I'm going to keep saying this. And this is the message I said to, to Lyndon Arthur. I said, you're telling me that you can't just set up a WhatsApp group with all the light heavyweights who are British and say, guys, how are we going to make money as a group? How are we going to make money? Let's meet here. That's all he has to say. Oi, everyone, let's meet at the Eubank fight. We're going to have some lunch beforehand and we need to work out how we take this into our own hands. They don't think to do that because they want to be paid like bosses. This is Boxing 101. Boxers want to be paid like bosses, but want to behave like workers. That's where they can learn from KSI, Logan Paul and Jake Paul. They don't behave like workers. They tell you, we provide a service. We bring our fan base. We will give you content and that will help elevate your situation. But you got to pay for that. So when I see people talk about anti-YouTube boxing this, it's not, it's not boxing. They're just creating content. They'll move on to something else. When this, when this gets boring. And for these YouTubers, it will get boring because their fans will become sophisticated and they will expect that same dopamine hit every time. And they'll realize that their heroes' bodies can't cope with it. They'll realize there aren't enough credible opponents to keep giving you that dopamine hit. And then they will get frustrated with boxing and they will stop watching. The worry about that five-year zone deal is it has to deliver six events a year. I don't believe there are six YouTube events that are worth it every year. Just being honest. Unless Misfits and MVP team up, I don't see how this works. That's their big risk. Because eventually their fans will get jaded and tired like we have. The novelty will wear off. But because they already have an audience, they'll just go on to something else. They'll race motorbikes, they'll race cars. It doesn't matter. They can leave boxing. And they'll just take their audience with them. So we'll be right back to zero. So I keep saying this. Every boxer out there has to take control of their situation. If you've got to pull people in, I'm always surprised that you don't get these guys sat there talking to each other. I'm surprised Eubank Jr. and Joshua don't talk to each other and go, how can we make this bigger? I am surprised. I'm disappointed, in fact. Even among the young prospects, I'm surprised these Olympians didn't get together and work out how can we make this into a movement. I mean, could call themselves, I mean, because we won a few medals at the last Olympics, call themselves the Medellin boys, you know what I mean? Little play on medal and all that. They could have done all of that. No one thinks to do anything. Because like I said, they want to be paid like bosses, but act like workers. If you ever want to know how lacking a boxer is in terms of mindset, common sense, intelligence, commercial acumen, all of that, what happens in a post-fight interview? So, Boxer X, now that you've just beaten Boxer Y, who would you like to fight next? Well, don't really know, mate. Like, what is? Like, I don't think about stuff like that. I don't really think about who I'm fighting. I leave that to my team and that. Leave it to my team. You know, I just stay in the gym, eat, train, sleep. You know what I mean, geez? I don't do, I don't do too much of this back and forth, man. I don't do too much of the talking. Do my talking in the ring. That right there is a microcosm of everything that is wrong. If you don't understand that as a boxer, you're your own business. You're your own brand. You are your own Coca-Cola. Then you will always get that 15 grand, that 20 grand, and you always have your hand out begging. That's why you get frustrated where you don't get to fight because you've got no other income stream. I never hear Billy Joe Saunders complaining about not getting a fight because he's always got money coming in. So then Billy Joe goes, you know what? I fancy fighting again. He's the closest we've got to a YouTuber, a guy who doesn't need boxing, but can come in with a fan base, excite, entertain, do his thing, go back to making money elsewhere. So I don't feel sorry for boxing. Like in the face of this YouTube thing, they should have prepared for this because KSI has been doing this for about five, six years now. And they've chosen not to learn the lessons. They genuinely think that what they do is superior to anything else.
Half-empty arenas will tell you that it's not, sadly. So further news in the YouTube world. We're hearing that Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury is going to happen in the Middle East, February 25th. That gives us, what, four and a half weeks? Really? Um, Tommy struggled last time with the weight and the conditioning and stuff. So if he's been in camp all this time, fantastic. I have a feeling he hasn't. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is just another attempt to kick the can down the road till, till somehow Tommy finds himself ready to fight. I think Jake will take the fight in a heartbeat. But actually, if you look at it from a Jake perspective, where's the money in this now? I think, I think we've kind of turned off this fight now because... We now realize maybe Tommy's not the guy to give Jake the beating we thought he'd get. And actually, we're more concerned that Tommy will take the beating himself. So I think yeah, there, there are real issues now in terms of what you do with Tommy Fury. Because if the Jake Paul fight doesn't happen, you've got to push him down the conventional route. And there are a lot of people waiting to see Tommy Fury down that conventional route. You know, like an Andre Sterling, for example. Is that really where Tommy wants to go? Because it's not as lucrative as these Jake Pauls and Logan Pauls. But he seems to have burnt that bridge. But we'll see. I'm not hopeful of that fight happening. Because I just don't think it makes sense for either guy, to be honest with you. And I don't see Tommy showing up in the right kind of shape to, to fight Jake Paul in four and a half weeks. I just don't believe it. If it happens, fantastic. But I just don't see it happening. Because if you've protected Tommy so far, I don't know if you'd just throw him to the wolves now. I want to take things stateside quickly and talk about Johnny Rice. Now, we don't normally talk about the American heavyweights, mainly because we seem to have the whole division locked down on this side of the Atlantic, right? But I've kind of followed Johnny Rice since he lost to F.A. Jagba about two, three years ago. And I always liked him because he's this plucky guy. He, no disrespect to him. Johnny Rice is a journeyman. In the truest sense of the word, he's a journeyman, not like a Phil Williams or a Sokolowski. He's a journeyman in the sense that you fight him in that mid part of your career when you need someone that's going to test you, but hasn't got the tools to obliterate you. And so he had been chugging along in that sort of lane until he fought Michael Coffey. And he fought Michael Coffey twice and beat him on both occasions when he wasn't supposed to, which is why there was a rematch. And so you had this real Cinderella man scenario of just upsetting the odds. So in this fight, he ends up fighting Guido Vianello, who we all know is, a, is an S-Jam fighter. And they were, let me word this. <laughs> they were telling us this guy was the, the Roman gladiator, the real deal. He was going to shake up the heavyweight division. And Johnny Rice has gone and beaten him. Now, I'm not saying Johnny Rice is outboxing him. In fact, he was probably down on the cards by, if we say four rounds to two. And then Johnny Rice landed. Right hand hit the eye, cut the skin. Ref had to stop the fight. But it's a remarkable run for someone like a Johnny Rice because it gives him opportunities to make money he wouldn't have made otherwise. Now, if you look at where, where he's positioned, it's not ridiculous for him to be a marked time fight for a guy like Daniel Dubois. It's not, it's not ridiculous for him to be a marked time fight for a Hergovic or Gilles Zhang or even a Joe Joyce. He's a good marked time fight for a Jared Anderson too. So credit to him for, for seizing the moment. And I think there's a real skill in knowing when it's your moment and really rising to that moment and making it and just owning it. And I think he did that really well. So I wanted to say kudos to him because he's all action guy, heart of a lion. You know, for all of his limitations, the man is there to fight. And I'd say the same about FAA Jagba, who I see as a, as like a higher level, like he's like a gatekeeper. If you can get through FAA Jagba, you kind of know that you're on track for world level. Which is a shame because when he first came out, you thought that he'd be the real deal. It was him. And do you remember Izu Ugono, the kind of Polish-Nigerian who ended up in America and was made with Joseph Parker until it turned out he wasn't that good. And so they were kind of from that similar era. And a lot was expected of F.A. Jaguar, but Frank Sanchez let him know that there are levels to this game. And now F.E.'s got to rebuild. 
He was meant to fight Oscar Rivas, who had a detached retina. Then he fought Stefan Shaw, where he won comfortably. But just from what I saw, he has to do a lot more. If I'm looking at F.A. Jagba, I'm like, okay, your jab's good, your backhand's good, but there's not a lot of creativity in what you do going forward. And God help you if you ever get pushed backwards. So there's a lot to do there, but it's good to see that the American heavyweight scene's bubbling a little bit. It's still not where we are, and I can't explain why. I guess it's because we don't have the NBA and the NFL here. So if you're a big lump here, boxing's quite a good way to make a living. So let's stay with the heavyweight theme and talk Francis Ngannou. So Francis Ngannou's contract with the UFC is up. He's not renewing and he's informed Dana White that he will leave the UFC. Now, is it forever? Probably not. I think he just wants that freedom to exploit the opportunities that are out there. So, you know, imagine being able to do the WWE without having to pay Dana White. Imagine being able to box without having to pay Dana White. Imagine having to do movies without having to pay Dana White. You know, you've... you've proved yourself as a combat athlete so now's a good time to start making money and i know what will happen the twitter sphere will go crazy about how good and garner would do in boxing francis and garner would get stopped by most cruiserweights isaac chamberlain will stop francis and garner chris Bidham smith will stop francis and garner lawrence would put him to sleep richard react poor might doesn't even bear thinking about the gap in power, the gap in physical resilience between Francis Ngannou and, and these pro boxers, cruiserweight or heavyweight, it's like putting a Mini Cooper S in a race with an F1 car. No matter how fast you think a Mini Cooper S is, power to rate and all of that, it's getting smoked, getting cooked. So what do you do if you're Francis Ngannou? I think you just have a couple of competitive sparring sessions and then you just call out Fury or Joshua and you do that on pay-per-view. And if you negotiate the splits properly, you'll probably earn more from that one fight than you did in your UFC career, which is a damning indictment on the UFC. And you think, right, there'll be people who will sniff, there'll be people who complain about Fury or Joshua fighting Ngannou. But they're not fighting Wilder. So if they're not going to fight Wilder, it actually doesn't matter who Joshua fights. If he's not going to fight Fury, it doesn't matter who Joshua fights. If Fury's not going to fight Joshua Usyk, it doesn't matter who he fights. You may as well fight Ngannou. That's where boxing's got to. And this, this isn't the fans' fault. This isn't the YouTubers' fault. This is the fault of the people who can't make a deal between Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. This is the fault of the people who can't make a deal between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. This is the fault of the people who can't make a deal between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. And I don't know if this is just kidology, like if we drag this out, we'll build the anticipation. I hate to disappoint the boxing world. Boxing's losing fans, not gaining them. If you look at the, the post-Olympic landscape, Sport participation is falling. Alarmingly so. Sports participation is falling. Sports viewership falling. You know, people are moving to other things. Social media is taking over. Esports are taking over. Other activities are taking over. The time to make these fights is now because you need to revitalize the sport. It needs a year like 2017 where good fight after good fight after good fight happened to restore faith in the fact that we get what we want and all we want to see are two relatively equal people having a scrap. That's what I said right at the beginning. Boxing is such a simple sport. Get two people, roughly similar in size and ability and age, let them go at it. What's so hard about that? So let's look at two, two easy examples of why fans are slowly leaving the sport. First one, Adrian Broner. So Adrian Broner is meant to be fighting Ivan Redcatch in February. Should be a winnable fight for Broner. We'll find out what he's got left. And then, you know, if he does well, then you're looking at Thurman or whoever, right? Broner's just trying to make money. I think he's promoted by the Black Prime now. And they seem to have enough money because I think they pay for the Crawford fight. So somewhere they've got cash and credit to them. So 
he's meant to be fighting Ivan Redcatch. And then it all kicks off on social media the last few days. And Redcatch is like, yeah, my promoter is trying to take all the money. So, so what had happened was they'd agreed to fight Redcatch. Redcatch has said, fine. They've sent him a bout contract, which he's happy with. His promoter, and I can't remember the name, is it like John Diardello? Can't even remember. So he's now gone, no, 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 leave the contract with me. So he sent a completely different contract back to Broner's guys. So the fight contract comes back and it says if Broner's overweight, the promoter gets half the money. You know, what? And, and so, and it's hard to say because obviously there are two sides to every story. But essentially, Broner started to said, well, this is more hassle than it's worth. So let's go and get hammering Hank Lundy as an opponent, which is not a bad opponent. Um, you know, you saw Crawford draw him up for a fight as well. So, you know, Lundy knows his job. I think he's there for Broner to beat comfortably and make Broner look good. And then don't be surprised if you hear Broner making them Crawford noises. Just saying. I think that might be the direction of travel because I don't think we're going to get the Spence fight. And I don't know why. It's almost like they don't think the pot's big enough for the fight, but the reality is the pot's the pot. And then the second example is Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis. So end of 2022, we were told these guys are fighting in April. That's what we were told. These guys are fighting in April. They're both going to have tune-up fights. Then bang, April, it's them. Garcia pulls out of his fight, which is a red flag to me. You know, Tank does his thing, looks incredible again. And now we're hearing that Oscar's like, well, yeah. First it was, if the contract's not here by Monday, fight's off. Then it was like, well, we expect to get the contract right and sign it in two hours. Still no announcement. You guys will be listening to this on Wednesday. It's about 1 a.m. on Tuesday night. Still no announcement. That's the problem with boxing. And the thing is, it's, it's now created an industry, and I'm part of this industry, where the stuff that happens outside of boxing is equally as significant as the stuff that happens in the ring now. We're the people that keep this machine oiled between fights, between big cards. It's us. Because if no one spoke about if there was no Twitter, geez, boxing would have died a long time ago. But this is it. It feeds into this whole thing of boxing so dysfunctional and chaotic that an organization like Misfits that's tight, that's focused, that has a purpose. She shout out to Salt Pappy as well. Looked incredible getting his knockout. But, I mean, that sort of proposition, which is tight, focused, has a purpose, has a demographic, has a market and a plan, is eating boxing for breakfast right now. Something I want to touch on, and it's probably a, a personal passion of mine, was the Ring Magazine announced their kind of 2022 awards and their trainer of the year was Bob Santos. Now, for most people, it's like, who the hell's Bob Santos? I think he's Hector Garcia's trainer, but he used to train Robert the Ghost Guerrero. That's kind of where I remember him from. Excuse me. Now, here's why I like seeing that. Because in Britain, we'd give the award to someone like Ben Davidson. We would. Now... Whether I think Ben's good or not, park that for a second. I, like I said, I think Ben's on a journey and Ben is learning how to be a good trainer. That takes time. But you see all these young guys and they all talk about how good they are as trainers. And I look at someone like... So I look at a guy like Bob Santos and I don't know his full story, but it's, it's, it's a bits and pieces story. And he's he's been an assistant to... Joe Goosen. He's been an assistant to Ronnie Shields with Eroslandi Lara. He's been an assistant to Freddie Roach. He's worked with Roberto Guerrero. You know, now you're seeing him with guys like Hector Garcia and all of this sort of thing. And you're looking at that and you're like, this guy's done everything in the sport. Knowledge is second to none, can do anything, can be a strength and conditioning guy, can be a cut man, can do this, can do that. And I look and I go, in Britain... How many trainers do you have that can do that? How many trainers do you have that are willing to serve the apprenticeship? How many British trainers are willing to leave their own gym to go and sit in someone else's gym and learn? The answer is not very many. 
The arrogance of British trainers disappoints me, but doesn't surprise me. And I find it weird that no one invites anyone else in. I've had it a couple of times where trainers have said, mate, pop in, come and have a look, see if you can suggest anything I could be doing differently. And you're like, okay. And a lot of times you're not telling them that they're wrong, but it may just be things like, just have some structure in your sessions. Yes, you may be knowledgeable, but if you don't have structure, the people around you won't understand what the hell you're doing. It's, it's small things like that, where you just have conversations about things and they'll give you some ideas that you go back and test out. You'll give them some ideas that go, they go back and test out. But British trainers sit there in their gyms and they don't learn of anybody else. And that's why they're mostly mediocre. Yeah. And this is why fighters leave trainers, because after a year or so, they've given you their best. How many boxing trainers, and this is to the people who work with them day to day, name me boxing trainers who get better every year. Where after two years, they can still come at you with fresh ideas. How about we try this? How about we look at this instead? I think we can get an extra 20% if we do this. Not many. It's dinosaur tactics, dinosaur approaches, and that's why you have strength and conditioning guys coming in, whispering in fighters' ears. Because most boxers are bored being around their trainer because their trainer's not learning. The biggest crime you can ever have as a trainer is to be the same man this year as you were last year. If you're the same man this year as you were last year, you failed your fire. You failed your fighter, you failed your sport, you failed the coaching profession. You let your brotherhood down. Sadly, that's most people. That's, the sad, that's so sad. And if you look at someone like a Bob Santos and you go, he put himself everywhere. Emmanuel Stewart could pick all of these great brains and then say, how does this work for me and the people I want to train? And I'm saying this, if you're a boxer right now, when's the last time your coach blew your mind? When's the last time your coach gave you something and you felt a difference in how you performed? When is the last time? And we can't use Conor Ben and his doctor as an example here. But when is the last time your trainer did that? So what are you being loyal to? You're being loyal to someone who's lazy. That's why when people leave trainers, a lot of times I don't encourage it, but I can also understand where it comes from because after a while, it's like a relationship. You get bored. It's like, well, you gave me this last year. You know, I mean, where's the evolution? Where's the growth? Where, where, where are you? Where are you showing me that you want to be better? Let me feed off your energy, your desire to be better. Ah, you sat there watching old fight tapes. So what? What do you understand about biomechanics? What do you understand about the use of technology? Now, what do you understand about even those basic exercises? What exercises do you know do more harm than good? And most of your trainers don't have a clue. This is how Ben Davison was able to just basically steal everybody's food. Because for all the experience that Ben Davison lacks, and it's a lot, he has knowledge and he's not afraid to acquire new pieces of knowledge and build on that. That's where we need to get to. This country needs at least 20 Bob Santos type people for our sport to be healthy. We probably have three. That's it. We have three. Now, it gets problematic when I bump into people and they go, oh, you think I'm a shit trainer? It's not about naming names. Just generally, the flavor of British boxing trainers at the moment is mediocre. That's why Joe Gallagher's head and shoulders above everybody else. Like, if I was a pro trainer and I saw Joe still killing it, I'd be fuming. I'd be like, I should be better than him by now. Not for any other reason, but I should have learned what he learned. And then kicked it on. And then Joe should look and go, yeah, this new generation are crazy. But instead, Joe sits at the top of that tree knowing that nobody's got it in them to challenge him.
Same with Adam Booth. Adam Booth's been hoaxing people. Like Harry Houdini and David Copperfield rolled into one. He's been hoaxing people. At least for the last decade. But there's no one to challenge him. So he gets away with it because he's still the smartest guy in the room. That's embarrassing that he's still the smartest guy in the room. And then when someone with, with 17 and a half brain cells more than the average trainer comes in Shane McGuigan and Shane goes, there's a different way to do it. They all laughed at him. But they're not laughing now because Shane showed that he can do this. Because there's a guy who invested in knowledge. And I bet any money that if me and Shane were having a conversation and I said something meaningful, he'd make a note of that. He'd be like, ah, you know, I'm going to try that. That's the mindset you need. If you, if you don't have that competitive driven mindset as a trainer, your fighters will leave you. They want to see the steel in your eyes because they vibe off that. I'm going to say it again. I say it in probably every other episode. Fighters will reflect the character of their trainers. Remember that, guys. You will, you will reflect the character of your trainer when you fight. Oh, man. So let's just do a quick fly around everything that's been happening. Um, Eddie's been flapping again. He's talking about Callum Smith versus Joshua Bartzi. I'm like, well, you can make that fight. Well, what the hell's taking you so long? You know, Eddie's really quick, isn't he? Um, anything to do with Anthony Yard, he puts Josh Bartzi in the way immediately. But we're like, well, let him fight Callum Smith. And now feet are being dragged. Just make the damn fight. Now, if nothing else, man, your, your paymasters are getting absolutely humped. You know, reporting losses over $2 billion. Now, have some respect for the people who pay you. Give them some good fights for a change. But, you know I mean, he's dragging that out. A lot of nonsense talk about Joshua. Now we're looking at Jermaine Franklin as an option. I don't see why Michael Hunter doesn't get the call, by the way. I don't know what Michael Hunter has to do. I don't see what Bacoli has to do. Why on earth Hearn is saying, well, he's not our fighter. Make him an offer. What is it about Bacoli? What is it about Billy Nelson? There's clearly something we're not seeing as boxing fans, which is problematic. And that may be the reason why no one's signing Bacoli, because he's a threat. Get Hunter in there. There are all these people that Joshua could fight. And I'm not saying that I want to put him in harm's way, but if he says he's a fighter and he doesn't do tune-ups, then these are the guys who are not tune-ups. If you're going to fight a tune-up, cool, fight Johnny Rice. If that's who you want, fight Johnny Rice. And maybe that's what they were waiting for. Make an offer to Johnny Rice. <laughs> I imagine that as your comeback. Um, people have been sending me the picture of Callum Johnson in the gym. And I know, I, know, I know the implication is he must be on the juice. And maybe he is, right? But he's a retired guy. For now, he's retired. Yeah, that's what we were told. He's retired. He's given up his license. He's a civilian. Civilians can take what they like. It's not problematic now unless he requests his license back. Then it is problematic. But here's where I will defend Callum Johnson. He always looked like a guy who would, who would end up big. Now, I don't know if anyone's seen him next to his father, God rest his soul. But his father was big. His father looked like, like, like an old version of Jay Cutler. That's who his father looked like. And Callum's got that kind of Cutlerish physique to him as well. So, being honest, I wonder if he could do bodybuilding. Maybe that's his next challenge because he's got the genetics for it. He's got the structure for it. Maybe not all out bodybuilding like a, like a men's physique or something. I think he could do that. I, I, I'd like to see that, in fact, if I'm being honest. But in terms of returning to a ring, I don't know if I want to see that because it would raise many uncomfortable questions. Because even if he came back, he couldn't make light heavy now. He'd be cruiserweight. So who do you fight a cruiserweight? I'd just never say never in this boxing game. Never say never. But yeah, so that would be that'd be fascinating. Chisora now wants to fight Ngannou. Actually, on a side note, I've just heard that Oscar De La Hoya's got the contract. Oh man, who was the lady who said that she put her fist up there because she had to get a tequila bottle cap that was stuck up Oscar De La Hoya's backside? Why do we love this sport? Please tell me why we love this sport. Because sometimes I have no idea. But yeah, this is a mad world we live in. In terms of other stuff that's been happening. Um, 
just from a personal perspective, I just want to shout out Jerome Stay Ready Campbell. Good to see he's back in the gym and he'll be fighting, I think, second week in March. Seen a lot of him over the lockdown just because we use the same fitness gym. So people who use that fitness gym, it's me, him, me, Dennis were home. Uh, Robbie Chapman's there a lot, so shouts out to Robbie. So we all get there, and like I'd always wondered what he was going to do because he definitely didn't box during the pandemic, and he should have done. I think he's been given a raw deal the last year and a half, two years, as has Yusuf Kamari. You let Yusuf Kamari fight one of these guys at 130. Let him fight Cordina. He's got no fear fighting anyone. Just let him get stuck in. But yeah, it's just, I think that's the world of boxing. I've been talking for absolutely ages now and I'm pretty cooked. But I just want to come back to what I started off the show with and just talk about the numbers, 2022. Insane. So, 2022 on iTunes, because like different outlets report metrics differently. So, on iTunes, we were averaging, I reckon, about 16K spins a month now if you think realistically i probably do 4.1 4.2 episodes a month that's not a bad figure because you're hitting about 16.6 average a month which is incredible because i don't really push itunes so i'm grateful to the guys like danny watley matt skelton and everyone else who pushes it i thank all of you guys from the bottom of my heart because i just do the soundcloud thing and get it out that way and then if you look at soundcloud what are we doing on average per month somewhere around 12 to 13k on soundcloud where we're lagging is spotify but my theory on spotify is it's not people's preferred platform of choice it hasn't reached the status that apple has where apple's got a dedicated podcast app and i think spotify may need to produce a dedicated podcast app because the interface is just crazy at the moment whereas apple's is just clean and intuitive so that one we're doing about 9K a month on that. So I think overall, if you look at the numbers in terms of where the podcast is, those are decent numbers. Now, it's hard to slice and dice and go, how many of those are multiple devices from one listener? I don't know if I'm being honest. It's hard to say. So you can't say that they're pure numbers. You know what I mean? But they're good numbers and they're about 40% up on 2021 comfortably. Um, I just, my mind was completely blown when I was looking at those numbers. And the fact that, you know, for, for about a thousand people, this podcast is one of the top five you've listened to in 2022. <laughs> That's crazy. A thousand people. And if you go down to top 10, then the number gets bigger. It's, there's a lot of positive stuff that, you know, I think. So there are two things that really drove it. One, loyal listenership and the engagement we all have on social media as well, I think, is the engine of it. The turbocharger was Joshua. Joshua losing to Usyk was a turbocharger. When, when, when people saw the empire literally crumble in front of them, that's when they started to turn away from the established outlets and start finding those alternate, alternative voices. Because if you look at IFL numbers, IFL numbers per video are down. Again, another year where those numbers are down. And that's why you see them sniffing in the podcast space. That's why you see them sniffing in all these other avenues because... They're trying to find the engagement numbers. They're trying to fill the gap that the bots were filling. And they're not the only ones. All those outlets, that to some extent, are cheating. And that's fine. You know? you know, you can go out there and you can lie to the public and you can cheat as much as you like. And you can pretend that outlets like ours don't exist, but the numbers are telling you that we're here. We're here. And not only we're here, but we're here the right way because we just speak it as we see it. And I dare any of those outlets to do that. They can't. So you imagine with the numbers I've just put out there. Not one IFL interview apart from when I gay crashed the Denzel thing. Not one. Not one of these, these camera jockeys 
have said, actually, do you know what? Let's just see if we can just get a little grift of him. Get a bit of controversy going, get some numbers, you know, whatever. No. You know why? They're so scared of validating my existence because that may spell the end for them. But I'm okay with that. We'll keep rising, we'll keep growing, we'll keep telling our truth. Now, I can't say it's the objective truth because I don't know if such a thing exists. But I can only give you one guarantee, man. I'm not going to make stuff up here. I'm not going to lie. And if you think about how long I've been podcasting, when have you ever seen me outed for anything I've said on social media? No. Because if I can't verify or validate it, I don't mention it. I'm not afraid to be boring sometimes, I promise you. I try not to be, but I'm not afraid to be that way. And on that note, not, not the most exciting of notes, but let me sign off because God knows what time it is now, but it's way past my bedtime. You take care, guys, and have a fantastic week. Mm-hmm.